Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're Mumbrella listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is our senior media reporter, Zoe Samuels. Hello. Our news editor, Paul Woolbank. Hello. And on the buttons this week is our deputy editor, Josie Tutty. Hello. And later on, we'll be chatting to Mark Green, who's CEO and co-founder of The Monkees, and Nicole Taylor, CEO at McCann Australia. And they are also the chair and deputy chair of the Communications Council. And we'll be chatting to them about being more than ad machines. I think it's, it's, it's more interesting for... Uh, creative agencies to be solving, you know, bigger brand problems than just making the ads. Industry body overload. Look, there, there are probably too many. And the talent problem. If you look at our industry and look at some of the issues that we're really trying to resolve, training and talent is a real thing. But first, the week's topics. It's financial results season and 7, 9 and SCA are in. 9 and news, fight over breakfast. Google and Facebook go on the defensive. So financial results season is not only upon us, but we're, we're already sort of most of the way through and we've been uh, busy looking at nine, seven, Southern Cross Austereo's results amongst others. Um, Zoe, you've had your head into some of this. Um, let's, let's start with seven, shall we? They had a little bit of a write down and the ASX didn't much like it. No, they did not. Look, seven was an interesting one because revenue for the year was actually up to 797 million thereabouts uh, for the year. But what we did see as a result of the market pressures that the television business was suffering from was that EBITDA fell uh, 8%. Now, when you looked into all of Seven's results, there are a number of different things, the television write-downs being one of them. So that's, in other words, is the the book value of what they estimate the, the, the TV brands to be worth, they decided was a bit less. Exactly. So we did see that in Seven and we didn't actually see that in Nine, which is interesting, but we can get to that later. What we also saw was that Seven West Media as a whole actually owns a lot of other businesses, as does as do most media companies today. So seven West Media's West Australian newspapers had also suffered both ad revenue decline and circulation decline. And Pacific Magazines, which owns magazines like New Idea and Who, also saw a decline in advertising revenue and circulation. So it looked like overall everything tended to be struggling due to various pressures, being them digital or, or television, and that's what the CEO, Tim Warner, said on that day. Um, but it was interesting given ad revenue had, I mean, total revenue had actually increased overall. And I get the sense that some of the question is just about the the outlook as well. That almost feels like that's what the the market is looking at. You know, it's, it's, it's weird to blame things too much on one show, but it feels like Married at First Sight has been nibbling into Seven's audience share really hurting tens but let's just focus on seven for a minute so it, it almost feels like sent market sentiment at the moment has turned slightly away from seven just on quite a short-term view yes potentially and i've talked about this i don't think i've talked about this on the podcast but what i found fascinating when i listen to radio programs all over australia every morning when i read the news every morning is the noise that nine has made about married at first sight this year and i think when the entire media industry goes towards a show naturally the whole perception changes of where nine and seven sit that's really interesting and i don't think we've seen something like that in a really long time maybe ninja warrior a couple of years back but the phenomenon that's come around means that almost every television radio 
and publisher is talking about this one program and by default things are going to shift. Do you know, in the 10 years I've been doing Umbrella, the only time I can remember something really similar was the first season of MasterChef where I found myself on a Channel 7 morning show discussing Tens Master Chef as a phenomenon, and it it feels like Married at First Sight has become a similar, certainly kind of tabloid fodder. It definitely it feels like it's that you know people talk about water cooler moments. You know, I I remember last year I was really really addicted, and actually this year I decided to move away from all reality television. Sorry, seven nine ten to focus on a few other things at the beginning Mad of the Men year. Box set, Mad Men box set. I'm at the season finale. Everyone, for those really no interested, spoilers. don't tell me any spoilers. I'm not going to tell you any spoilers. Um, but it almost feels like even if I'm on my Twitter feed, I'm missing out on something. And that is a really, really powerful thing to create. And and that's not to say that My Kitchen Rules, which is Seven's uh, launch reality show of the year, is doing poorly. It's not a, It's not at all. It's still delivering, you know, 800,000, 900,000 Metro viewers a night. But I think when the entire industry wraps their head around one thing, the perception in market is going to be, oh, nine. And also nine's focused at nine. People have been focused on nine and watching nine because of the merger with Fairfax Media as well. Well, that's a good point because, of course, we've seen some clues some really early clues on what nine's bought and what the performance has been like to so so obviously it's it it's a you know by its very nature it's a look in the rear view mirror but so what have the early signs being of the fairfax part of the portfolio look to be honest they actually looked quite healthy i don't know if that was a huge shock because there was and I can remember the headlines last year when Greg Highwood got up for the last time, who was the CEO of Fairfax, at their full financial results and said, you know, we are robust, but there was still a loss. Metro Media, which includes papers like the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, the Australian Financial Review sits in there as well, was all up in terms of revenue for the year to date. Now that's on a pro forma basis. So they nine obviously didn't have those masters for the full six months. So they've worked it out um, themselves. That's all up. The other thing that Nine obviously acquired another 50% stake in was their joint venture uh, with Fairfax Stan, which is a subscription video service. Now that's seen, that's also seen incredible growth year on year. And I think they were talking about to, uh, this week, um, 1.5 million subscribers as well. They've also just boosted the subscription price from $12 to $14 a month. Yes, that, was a, that was an act of confidence, really, wasn't it? It was, it was. And um, we have spoken to to the CEO, Hugh Marks, this week, and he believes it's a fair price and reflects the, the value for money proposition that Stan brings to consumers. So, yeah, it definitely is a vote of confidence. But and the noises are still about nine selling off their regional newspapers? Yes, that is all still there, and it became very clear today. I don't think it was a secret at all that they were selling them off, but it has confirmed that they didn't include that in the continuing operations. They can, they included that in the report as discontinued because it's for sale. Interesting. But what we did see with that whole area, and that includes stuff New Zealand as well, is a total decline in revenue for that whole area. So it's they've, they've said that it was difficult market conditions, particularly for Australian community media. I'm not sure how they'll go with attracting buyers, but it will be interesting Look, to now see. I must, I must confess, I, I didn't spot the community newspaper's result um, in, in, in today's information, but I think they're expecting a number of about 50 million in terms of the profit number, um, which... I guess then potentially gives it a value if they sell it of 150 or 200 million. And is that still the drumbeat? It wasn't clear in the results, uh, but I would suspect that they would inform the market should that change. I think too, one of the interesting things with Australian community media is that real estate aspect to it, because that's a big driver of those suburban titles within that portfolio. And we saw with Domain, uh, revenues were flat. 
And in fact, I think they slightly fell. So that softening of the property market is really affecting the values of those assets now. And of course, one of the people we are seeing having a name, his name associated with the interest in it is Anthony Catalano, who of course was previously at Domain. Which really would put in a, uh, put the cat amongst the pigeons, so to speak, um, if he were to take over at ACM, is that uh, where would he go? Would he have a joint venture with Domain? Would he go over to REA or maybe set up his own um, uh, property portfolio? Well, he still obviously retains something of a stake in Domain, I think, doesn't That's he? That's right, still yeah. A, share, a reasonably big shareholder. Now, Paul, you looked at the Southern Cross Austereo results, and of course they have a TV arm as well, which again, there was a write down there. Yeah, just uh, shy of 230 million. So I really think it's interesting we're seeing these write downs from Seven and um, and Austereo that uh, the question is, how valuable is television at the moment? And that really. Yeah, it's just I, I'm fascinated on how this is getting written down. This is the million or possibly billion dollar mm. question, isn't it? And so it'd be good to get your views as well on this because I get the sense that it's just starting to occur. Maybe even at nine, that actually they don't want to talk down their competitors too much because, of course, they don't want TV as a sector to drop. And my suspicion is I saw some numbers very early on during the sport that seem to be indicating that year on year the overall TV viewing number was down. And if that continues, then that's actually not good for TV as a sector as a whole. No, and I I definitely felt like this week, Hugh was aligned with Seven, which obviously doesn't and hasn't happened in previous years. The TV networks do like to kind of butt heads on certain things. But I did say to Hugh, you know, you've all cited tough market conditions. One, is it going to turn around? And is this a sign that the industry is shrinking? And he was just kind of like, you know, we're just always judged on – the $3 billion television market, we've got to think a bit differently about it, which is not a yes or no answer strictly, but it is interesting and it will be interesting to see whether the value in television is diminishing. Obviously, the work that Think TV has done over the last sort of uh, my whole time at Umbrella, basically two years, has really turned around the conversation and and, and advertisers often talk about how they feel like they've got this renewed uh, faith in television advertising, but it will be interesting to see if this is just a, a brief period of struggle or whether this is going to be a long-term issue. And also what was interesting out of both of those results was that push towards the digital platforms as well. So uh, Southern Cross are really talking up the Podcast One network uh, that uh, they're saying may be profitable in, say, 18 months or so. I know they were waving a 400% growth flag, That's right. they, uh, albeit 400% off quite a low base, I suspect. That's right. But Nine's uh, digital platforms seem to do quite well as well in theirs, although whether that's enough to uh, make up for those rivers of gold that um, is TV advertising revenue, is that, again, another billion-dollar question? Something really interesting that Hugh mentioned, uh, and people will read about it, on our website as well. So go to the story once it's available. Which it probably will be. Well, by the time which it will be by the this. time you're listening to this. Is, through the magic of podcasting. <laughs> through the magic of podcasting. Um, is that he was saying that already the subscription revenue is overtaking advertising revenue for the papers. So he was saying that when you look at, and he was boxing digital media, he was going, you know, we bundle the print and digital subscriptions these days and we're seeing massive growth there and that can, that's only expected to pick up. So it feels as though they're already looking at different ways outside of traditional television advertising to make up other bits. The other thing um, that's probably worth mentioning is that Hugh was very, very bullish around we're the only people with a strong digital media business in this market. 
you know, seven had a Yahoo seven venture. That's, that's no more. Ten's got little bit of assets. News has a publishing business, but is perhaps not as strong in areas that nine is. It looks like the more we go forward, the, the, the more necessary it will be for these businesses to have robust businesses beyond television and, and vice versa for someone like news to sort of make up for all the losses in, in various sectors. And do you think that's obviously, I suppose there's, to a certain extent there's, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Because that represents his obviously, portfolio. Yes. Um, do you think it's a fair point? I think it is a fair point. I think that all of the television businesses have been incredibly, whether they like to say it or not, dependent on that revenue. And, you know, it's very hard for them. They always go, you know, there's other parts of the business. We're a content business. We're a storytelling business, whatever they want to say. But fundamentally, you've still got them out in market pushing the television as the center and the heart. It's important if we're going to evolve, if these businesses are going to evolve, to be thinking about ways that not only you can uh, sell advertising cross-platform, but how you can build out new revenue streams. And Hugh remains, and obviously he would be, very focused on his growth areas as opposed to his traditional legacy brands at the moment because he can see the opportunity to make up for the losses there in in areas where uh, they're bringing in a lot of money. Well, next, Nine and The Daily Telegraph go to war. So sticking with Nine, this week Nine's news boss Darren Wick described an article in the Sydney Daily Telegraph as a fabrication, an irresponsible reporting. And you won't be amazed to hear that as it was the daily article about the problems of the Today Show. Um, Zoe, there's, there's been increasing tetchiness between Nine and News Corps, news Corps The Telegraph over how um how how it's covered the today show which goes right back to before Carl Stefanovic left uh yeah definitely and I, look i don't think the daily telegraph is the the only publisher to hammer nine over the today show but it has been one that has pursued almost every single angle under the sun the day that this happened i mean it was like darren woke up read the paper and went right i'm done with this i'm very angry well, I must admit, I woke up, read the paper and went to myself, hmm, they've gone quite far, haven't they? Talk us through the actual article. So the article was basically, it was based on industry sources or industry insiders or whatever term uh, Sydney Confidential decided to use today. But basically it was around the fact that Nine was obviously under increasing pressure given the falling Today Show numbers, which to be fair, have been some of the worst they've seen in the Today Show's history in the last few weeks. And that there were these focus groups that had basically said that they didn't like Georgie. I think the Georgie, Georgie Gardner, Gardner, who's the uh, the co-host of the Today Show with Deborah Knight, there were, I think from memory, it was like words like, uh, wi- Ice Maiden was Ice a word Maiden. they used, and and again they they claimed it had been it had come from the from the focus group, but they also sort of pulled it out and put it in a graphic. It. It, it felt quite specific about the person. It did. So the print product essentially had Georgie on the left-hand side in a purple dress and the different names that this supposed focus group had had used to describe her were just sort of all around her body, which kind of felt very targeted. And that was how it was received by Nine, not surprisingly. So remind us what Darren Wick said about it, the boss of Nine News. So Darren said it was the worst example of bullying he'd, he'd ever seen. He said it was a fabrication. He said they hadn't reached out to him for comment. And had they done so, they would have said that there was no facts in any of this. Where do they go? Because 
it felt like it, there was a point where it started to become inevitable that Carl was going to get rid of because the headlines came day after day. Mm. And obviously Nine was thinking, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll clear out the team. We'll make a clean start. We'll move on from the headlines. Um, obviously now they've got this whole new set of headlines about the ratings, which is arguably disproportionate to the amount of advertising revenue that actually comes into breakfast. <laughs> yeah. But the, but, but the headlines are real. The PR issue is real. Where do they go from here? How do they short circuit it? Because, you know, getting rid of Carl didn't work and arguably they might regret doing it now. So what do they do instead? I don't think it would be in their interest to get rid of or change the Today Show. I think that would be incredibly brash and I don't think it's in their interest to do that. What I would be interested to see is whether or not one nine made a complaint to the press council about this story and tried to at least in this particular instance, get some sort of apology or retraction or something to that effect. In terms of what they're going to do long term, I think it's a case of sticking it out. You know, it's really a shame that Georgie Garner has been labelled as all these things. They've definitely come in and, 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 and tried to position these two people as, you know, a new positive face for the brand. I actually look. I actually don't know what you can do when the when the when the papers are going to keep hammering you. And keep in mind, it's not just the news court papers; it's also the nine papers doing it. Well, let's also remember because, um, and I'll bring you in a moment, Paul. Um, I I remember in you know one of the criticisms was lack of chemistry between the two hosts. Those were exactly the same criticisms made in the early days of Carl. I remember someone actually in the early days changed his Wikipedia entry to describe him as the. The, the 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 first artificial life form to present uh, a, a, a daytime television show, and then of course his Wikipedia entry was so little viewed at the time that um, nobody noticed it for weeks before they changed it. Yeah, shades of Max Headroom, maybe. But um, but I'm just thinking with that. So in the short term um, scheme of things, maybe that uh, duo does need time to bed down. Or uh, are you in this classic situation where you're the shark, you're the whale bleeding in the water and all the sharks are biting at you and uh, the more blood that's in the water, the more they're going to bite. So it's hard to see in the short term there. But in the longer term, maybe it's time to rethink this um, host on the couch um, format. It's a 1980s, 1990s format. And, okay, it's doing all right, but it is getting a bit stale, younger viewers, not Come really. Come on, Paul. There. Pitch an alternative format. Yeah, well, I'm just I'm trying to think this through as I'm in Paul front Warbank of the microphone. on the couch. <laughs> Not on the couch. I think the couch is the. <laughs> this is a, a very 1980s, 1990s style format. Nothing. Maybe time to move on to get some younger audience there. No couches, no desks, just standing. Yeah, sure. Virtual reality, man. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say, and you mentioned advertising revenue, Tim, and and there was a time when the breakfast shows were fundamental components to revenue and they were used to launch the rest of the day that the reason for their existence has changed you know it's not like the sunrise performance affects my kitchen rules performance or or today's show's performance affects marriage performance or studio 10's affects whatever they've got on at the moment dancing with the stars it's not got the same effect it does so while this is a constant pr issue i wonder how much nine actually cares if it's not actually affecting anything else outside of the actual Today Show rhetoric. It's quite limited and it's not going niner idiots, niner that. They're just going Today Show, Today Show, Today Show. Yeah, look, it, it certainly feels to me that like the bit that's bothering them is the headlines and not the ratings. Yes, definitely. I think they, they know that the numbers are down there. Well, Darren said this week that he's happy with the ratings and the performance of the show. It's definitely the... Uh, criticisms of the program itself, the hosts involved, 
how much it has failed compared to Carl and they were really probably hoping Carl wouldn't be mentioned anymore, but people are comparing it naturally. So I think – but I think that problem is just centred in the Today Show. I don't think anyone has stopped watching other programs as a result and I don't know how much Nine would care outside of misleading information in market. Next, Facebook and Google versus the ACCC. So this week, Google and Facebook both submitted their responses to the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission's proposal for greater scrutiny of the algorithms governing digital platforms. Uh, Paul, when I think about the ACCC or anybody trying to regulate Google and Facebook, these giant global behemoths, um, it makes me think of the Skibbereen Eagle, the Irish newspaper from uh, the late 1800s that, that wrote an editorial sternly warning the Tsar of Russia that the Skibbereen Eagle has its eye on you. Is it a little bit like that for Australia has its <laughs> that eye? That is a reference I don't think any of our listeners are going to get, but sure. I, uh, maybe we can put a link in the article to uh, <laughs> uh, 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 an appropriate ed- entry about the Skibbereen Eagle so people okay. can understand. You certainly do get that view that uh, there's only so much the ACCC can do. And also on top of that, and I've said this before on the podcast, that the ACCC's track record on this sort of thing is absolutely dire, particularly when it comes to waving through mergers in the media, the telecoms industry. I mean, that's how we ended up with the debacle that is the MBN. Um, Thank you, ACCC. So I'm not particularly confident in them getting this quite right. In this case, is it that... They might want to do something they can't pull off. Is it they're failing to do something you think they should? I think in this sta- at this stage, we probably should reserve judgment on it because they haven't quite said what they want to do. So this is only the interim report that they put out in December. And at the moment, we're all arguing about that. The uh, So Facebook and Google's uh, responses are probably a bit of that. They would say that, wouldn't they? That uh, this is all um, either unmanageable or it's going to have unintended consequences. Things aren't going to work out the way the ACCC expects. But I was particularly amused by Google saying that uh, they've got fine competitors in uh, television, radio, as we've been talking about earlier in this segment. Search? Yeah. (laughs) uh, Good old Bing. Bing's moment could be coming back. <laughs> yes, that's right. So uh, this idea that they've really got some competition in that space. When there was a survey a few uh, a year back saying that uh, they were taking 120% of all new advertising spend. So basically they're sucking it up faster than the industry's growing. Because one of the, I think one of one of the sort of suggestions I think from News Corp was this algorithmic review board, which again, it felt like the practical issue is, you know, Google holds so close to itself the kind of the the, the 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 secrets of its algorithm when it comes to search. It it would die in a ditch rather than sort of open up the hood and let people see all of the little signals that make up its search algorithm. Yes, I'm surely. Sh- yeah, I, I agree with that. And also on top of that, I'm not completely sure that anyone in Google completely uh, understands the whole beast that uh, uh, keeps the whole thing ticking along, that this is a very, very complex machine that uh, is happening behind the scenes. And the same with Facebook as well. So uh, they probably don't quite understand the uh, monster they've created themselves. But uh, you just can't see um, how well that would work out. And Google does have a good point that uh, if you understand how it does work, 
then you're going to game it. So that, and again, that may not work well for the media companies because there's certain media players out there that are much better at gaming the Google algorithm than others. And uh, you might find a few original content writers uh, find themselves being, um, again, gnashing their teeth about being ripped off. Next, we'll be chatting about the Communications Council. And joining us now, we have Mark Green, CEO and co-founder of The Monkeys, and Nicole Taylor, CEO of McCann Australia, otherwise known as Chair and Deputy Chair of the Comms Council. Also in the room with us on the buttons is Deputy Editor Josie Tutty. Hello. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. So... Just to start off, uh, I've just mentioned you've got Chair and Deputy Chair of Comms Council in the room. What is the role of Chair and Deputy Chair of the Comms Council? Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think what we're trying to do is um, just build and protect the reputation of our industry um, to ensure kind of a long-term prosperous future for all the agencies we, we represent. And as Chair and Deputy Chair, we're kind of our job is really to put the um, the idea into action. And why is the Comms Council important for the industry? Look, I, I, I think the importance of the Comms Council is to make sure that our interests as agencies are represented, uh, and that um, you know we're doing everything we can to protect the future and to also build opportunities for the agencies we represent. So that's you know whether it's about you know creating the most diverse and uh, capable workplaces to uh, ensuring that creativity is something that's valued and, you know, that clients see as really important and a big part of business and commerce in the future. And I think a forum that allows for some of the, the leaders to all come together and talk about some of those bigger issues and collectively solve them yeah. as opposed to individually solve them, which is... Yeah, we're all capable of doing, but sometimes to have all those different perspectives um, really helps create better solutions and long-term solutions that everyone benefits from. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot of change in our industry at the moment, and I think mm. um, you know our interest is making sure that our members and uh, the agencies we represent are best placed to make it take advantage of those changes. And it's a really good time, I think, to be a creative agency. I know there's a lot of um, uh, talk about the challenges, but there's, uh, you know, the other way to look at that is the opportunities. And uh, I think whilst the industry is changing, you know, the best and brightest can really take advantage of that. And just before we started this uh, uh, podcast, Nicole, you and I were sort of talking about leadership and mm. and how, uh, you know, it's it's not just about reacting to situations in, in Adland, it's, it's also about leading. How's the Com Comms Council going about sort of being on the front foot of, of challenges that the industry is facing? Yeah, look, I think certainly since, and I think just to talk about what the chair does, I think Mark's doing a brilliant job of of kind of whipping us into shape and making sure that there's more than discussion, that, that there is action and that we're focused on the things that matter. Um, and I think, yeah, leading as opposed to reacting to issues feels like the fundamental kind of shift. So things like um, our kind of education and making sure we're offering the right kind of professional kind of development and people development kind of long-term, you know, platforms or... Um, kind of courses just to stop and reflect on that and think about what people need into the future and how we should support that happening just feels like 
like I said, leading as opposed to mm. reacting. Um, and there's all sorts of pillars that we've kind of framed for this year. Um, again, where we're stopping and thinking about the long term, not just the short term, which is about leadership, I think. And yeah, the th- uh, three areas of interest for us are uh, around, you know, people and professional development, uh, creativity and the role that it can play in business today, and the value of what we do. Uh, and I think there's, um, you know, the Comms Council has great properties uh, within each of those pillars, whether it be uh, award school or ad school, uh, the Yeffies or award. And I think it's really focusing in on those sort of three key pillars to make the most of what we do. And, you know, look, I think the, um, you know, it's, it's, we've done great things in the past with, uh, you know, those properties, but it's about making them current and, mm. and, and, and turning them into kind of a, a force for good for the industry. Uh, you know, the FEs, uh, it's a it's a great event. It really showcases the potential and what we do as an industry and the value we create for brands and and the sales that we create. And I think um, you know trying to make it bigger and better and focus on fewer things to do them well mm. is really kind of where the focus of the uh, board is right now. And diversity was something you mentioned uh, earlier. What's the Comms Council doing to sort of cultivate a diverse culture within? within agencies we're doing it mostly i mean it's a thread throughout everything we kind of worked out diversity can't be this standalone pillar Mm. it is a i guess a thread that exists in in every aspect of of what we're trying to achieve but it it mostly lives in the kind of um people development aspect so again how do we evolve our courses to have um you know diversity inclusivity kind of um, dealt with proactively in a long-term way through those courses that already exist. So we're kind of adapting the subject matter so it's more fit for purpose around those topics as opposed to going, here's a stream of things focused on diversity, which seems sometimes necessary, but we think we're in a position where it can actually kind of come through. We're looking at a grad program and how we do a better job of possibly um, – focusing that on groups of people that ordinarily wouldn't kind of get the chance to be part of joining the advertising kind of community or or industry. So, again, just really thinking about the role diversity plays within initiatives as opposed to fully separate things. So really exciting and and actually gets a lot of focus from everyone on the board. And, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, last year diversity kind Mm. of a couple of years ago was sort of, you know, started out with being gender diversity but now there's a lot more conversation in terms of not just gender but ethnicity, background, you know, and and even coming into into agencies from different professions as well. So it's it's great to see that that is a pillar that you guys are really focusing on. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, in order to kind of be the best creative businesses we can be, we need to have a diverse range of thinking in within the organizations themselves. So I think uh, it's, yeah, that's a key focus for the comms council. I think ultimately, you know, the challenge of, um, you know, showcasing the value of what we do, um, you know, the, the, the sales that we generate, I think there's been a, a lot of talk about uh, long-term mm. brand building and the shift toward, away from short-termism to long-term brand building. And I think we're starting to see that in the market where, um, you know, the, the capabilities and skills of creative agencies are again rising to, the, to prominence because of the reality is that, you know, brands and creativity drive sales. They open up the sales funnel, funnel 
And if you think about long-term sort of brand building, I think the skills of what agencies do are at the forefront of that. And I think if we focus on, you know, the brand strategy capability that we bring to the table, idea creation in its most contemporary form, so not just uh, traditional advertising, but making the most of all the channels that today help a brand communicate, I think um, it's a really interesting time for our members. Um, mm. And I think the, you know, the shadow on that is that we're focused on, you know, things aren't the way they used to be. But that's also good, you know, because within that change comes a lot of opportunity. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's more interesting for uh, creative agencies to be solving, you know, bigger brand problems than just making the ads. Mm. And uh, you spoke about members there. If I was the leader of a of an ad agency or, or any agency really, in a nutshell, why should I join the comms council? Because I think together we actually are responsible for the future of our industry and you can't actually shape it or change it unless you're part of it and part of making a contribution to doing something about the issues that we face. So I think if you're a member, then you're part of the decision-making that will shape what the industry looks like tomorrow. I, th- I think it says you care, mm. like beyond your own um, company. Um, you care about the industry as a whole. Yeah, like so I, I think, I think yeah. for both of us, like, yeah. we, you know, we're, we're, mm. we're here, we're, you know, we're, we're busy people. Um, yeah. You know, we've got lots of stuff in front of us, but uh, like we care about the industry and mm. we want to do something about, um, you know, its future and where it can go. And, mm. you know, Mark, I know this is something we've, we've spoken about before, but there are quite a lot of industry bodies in, you know, relatively small industry, if you like. Does that cause any confusion or is there is there is that a challenge that the Comms Council faces? Uh, look, uh, does it look there there are probably too many. I think um, you know, uh, we've we've had conversations amongst ourselves that uh, you know, for a small industry, we have probably too many trade publications and people covering the industry. We have mm-hmm. too many award shows. We have probably have too many um, industry bodies and I think um, you know the the you know it's probably again fewer bigger better and clearer more concise strategies behind them will mean that you know some win and lose and I think the comms council um, with our focus and with our membership base puts us in a really strong position and I think it was maybe almost a decade ago the Comms Council almost merged with the MFA, the Media yeah. Federation of Australia. Is there any appeal to bringing media agencies into the Comms Council in the future, or is it sort of staying as <laughs> staying as creative solely? Uh, look, I, look, I, I wouldn't rule anything out, and I'm not speaking out of turn. But I think um, you know, there's. Uh, we, we share similar issues and, um, you know, we've met with the Media Federation of Australia, we've met with the AANA, and I think the in- issues around people, creativity, the value of what we all do are shared. Uh, mm. So, you know, and at the same time, we're kind of all, all three organisations probably, uh, you know, kind of struggle for time and effort and resource. So, um, you know, look, I, I wouldn't rule anything out, but I think, you know, great collaboration and sharing of the challenges is, um, you know, something that we're working upon. Funding also historically for industry bodies has has been a challenge and there have been some that have worked and some that haven't. Does the Comms Council have, have healthy finances and where does the majority of the funding come from? Is it membership-based? Is Does it have to do with the FEs? 
Yeah, look, at, I mean, we're, we're, we're not in it to make a profit, right? We're in it to kind of represent the industry and we'll do everything that we can do to do that. So it's not about generating, you know, large revenues to, it's about actually having an impact. And I think the, you know, the revenue we generate allows us to put on better training courses. It allows us to put on showcases of creativity like award and award school. It allows us to, you know, create the FEs and promote the results of the FEs that showcase the impact that the work we're having in the market, you know, is resonating. So I think all, all those kind of things combined mean that, um, you know, we need to be prudent in how we go about our go about our business. Mm. Uh, but, we, you know, we need to kind of walk that line around uh, creating value um, and also ensuring that the organization's healthy so it can be long-term and long-standing. And I think um, the focus on fewer, bigger things helps us, I think, maximise the, the properties and the assets that we know have the most value, right? Kind of zero in on them. Yeah. So you're not spreading yourself too thin, which may have happened in previous times just through people wanting to do as much good as they can. Mm. And I think not spreading yourself too thin can be a bit of a trap when you're in these organisations because you're always – we're generating ideas galore. Yeah. You can imagine what it's like, but it's like <laughs> you've got to commit and, and do fewer things. That's That's the best way to approach it. Yeah, and I think we've probably turned kind of our skills on ourselves in some ways. Like, um, you know, uh, we spend a lot of time on our clients' brand strategies and business strategies, and um, that's what we've done as the comms council to really focus in the, on a clear strategy um, with clear goals and not trying to do everything um, that feels kind of cool and fun, but to actually focus on the things that are going to move the industry forward. And what do you think some of those key things are that are that are going to move the industry forward? Well, look, I, I think um, I think how we get paid and the value of what we create. I think that's um, probably the you know the biggest item on the agenda. Uh, I think there's uh, you know uh, we, you know we've been look we've been looking at uh, value based remuneration and trying mm. to educate our members on opportunities to change the game from cost plus to value based. I think, um, you know, showcasing the impact of creativity is something that um, we don't spend enough time on as an industry. I think, it, we you know, we win creative awards, but, um, you know, actually showcasing the result of that creativity and the fact that it's had an impact on a business and sales um, is something that, uh, you know, we, we, it requires a lot more kind of effort and uh you know, they're, they're the things that will change the game. And also, you know, our people, how they get trained, the, to the sort of training courses that were relevant yesterday aren't the same as what's going to move the industry forward tomorrow. Um, you know, there's uh, the changes are so great and so mm. fast that, um, you know, sometimes the coursework hasn't kept up. So making sure that we've got, you know, kind of a really solid and strong uh, training program um, which is which is something that you know we've spoken to um, some of the other organisations about because there's not many courses that focus on in on brand strategy. You know, award is pretty much the only gateway for people to enter our industry today, and it has been for you know for years. Mm. Um, you know, Dave Droger has the award pencil 
on his uh, you know um, uh, bookcase as a sign of how he got into the industry. And um, I, th- I think just to make sure that those courses are as relevant as possible, you know, we, we've been mm. working with like Facebook and different organizations to try and make sure the content is as mm. good as it could be. So, mm. yeah. We've also talked about accredita- accreditation, so formalizing that training to equal more of a professional kind of, um, like you say, system. So it's more like the accountants or more like some of those other professional services. So you kind of go through um, stages and, and then you get kind of acknowledged for being at different stages, which I mm. think is a really – and the IPA do that particularly well in the UK. So we think there's a lot of value in that. So it just kind of brings some transparency and um, value to those courses as opposed mm. to kind of doing them here and there, which if you look at our industry and look at some of the issues that we're really trying to resolve – Training and talent is a real thing. Um, yeah. So it makes sense for us to be really invested into that. Mm. And do you have much contact with with universities in that, you know, speaking mm. of talent? Because something that I've certainly noticed over the past couple of years covering agencies is there does seem to be quite a big disconnect in university university degrees and then the kind of skills that you need and that you use when you are in an agency, whether that be, you know, PR, media, creative or anything in between. Do you have any conversations with, with unis there is, yeah. or is that something that you're thinking of doing or...? We've started conversations. So some of us work with universities through our agencies, so that's definitely on our kind of initiative list to go, What? how can we better align with those courses and or influence them? Yeah. Um, so we're kind of singing from the same song sheet because you're right, there's a real variation in the marketing yeah. discipline um, and, and everyone kind of has different opinions, but I think increasingly we're all arriving at similar similar kind of philosophies on that, thankfully. But, yeah, we're influencing that. And uh, we spoke about, you know, a couple of the, the challenges the industry's been facing, obviously the Me Too movement mm-hmm. um, last year and, and this year's been <clears throat> been quite huge. Uh, I mean, there isn't really an effective way for people to kind of come out and, and call people out or blow whistles or say, you know, hey, I'm feeling really uncomfortable because of X, Y, Z, What's the Comms Council's point of view on this, and and how are you know you uh, as, as a unit getting involved in this or tackling yeah. this issue? Yeah, I think I think the most important thing for us to do is to provide information. So we can't fulfil the legal service or the individual kind of needs because we're not set up to do that as an organisation. But I think if we can provide codes of conduct kind of educate and provide information around what's the right pathway to deal with these problems, then we're, I think, as the comms council, you know, providing good support for people. Equally, we're connected to the agency circle. We've got to kind of bring all those different um, bodies that are kind of doing such good things together and comms council's not there to duplicate that effort mm. but to kind of connect in with those communities so we're all helping each other kind of provide the solutions to people. And I think I'm also on the Time's Up thing, and I'll call it a thing. It's yeah. a committee. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. and, and, and we have similar debates just around what is it we're providing people as a committee. Um, and we want to absolutely part of the comms council and we can make that happen. But mm-hmm. the, I get the point is what you can't promise people is an end solution to their problem. Yeah. So it's a tricky space, but at the same time if we're – 
transparent about what pathways are available to people. If we feel like um, we've got really good representation on the board, um, which we do, yeah. of people who we know um, are go-to people in the industry, um, for young women or men um, who are facing, you know, challenging issues at work, then we're, we're doing our part for sure. And uh, Mark, this one's uh, maybe for you, you know, wh when you sort of uh, became the chair of the comms council, what, what was, what were your goals? What did you want to do? And what, what was your impression of the comms council kind of prior to that? Yeah, look, I mean, I've sat on the board for a, a little bit and I, and I think I actually joined the board after complaining, um, about the impact the comms council was having, um, and addressing some of the industries that, uh, industry issues. And, um, you know, I think it was Sunita Gloucester wisely said to me that, um, rather than, you know, throwing stones from the outside, why don't you get in and do something about it? Which is what I've Fair done. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so look, uh, look, I think um, you know. So I, th I think there are. I think I, th I think we've been a bit too quiet. I think there's, um, you know, as a as an industry, I think there's lots of uh, negativity that's reported in our um, you know trade publications without the corresponding positivity of what we're doing and and some of the achievements of our industry in Australia and you know the impact we have economically and um, you know the quality of creative work. In Australia, the quality of talent that comes from Australia and starts to operate the networks of agencies globally and the impact that we have, um, the work that we've done on a world stage, the work that we've done successfully that's built brands and businesses. And I think that's where I think, um, you know, if, if we can achieve something, it's about getting more positivity, uh, greater confidence and, um, you know, and, and just driving the agenda ourselves as opposed to kind of responding to um, criticism or complaints or issues and, you know, getting on the front foot and becoming, yeah, just just more proactive in managing our own brands and destiny because, um, you know, I think there's some great Australian stories as, um, you know, look, it's provided me with an amazing um, career and we've done really well from it. And, you know, there are many examples of that in our industry, in the Australian industry, and we should be championing that. Mm. And I think if you look at it from that lens, um, it's pretty exciting. And, you know, whilst, uh, you know, we're not the only industry that's, you know, going through sort of radical transformations and all the other stuff, um, but we're, we're, we're pretty well placed to kind of take advantage of it as well. Mm. I mean, I think it's far more interesting how you can solve problems today as a brand and as an agency than there were 20 years ago. Um, and that kind of provides, you know, the opportunity for entrepreneurs. It provides the opportunities for great leaders. Uh, and I think, um, you know, if we can turn the debate into something that's really constructive and positive and the comms council can be a big part of, you know, leading that, mm. that's what I want to bring to the table. And that's what, you know, Nick mm. and uh, the board are also trying to do. And um, Tony is our CEO. So, um, you know, I, I feel pretty positive about it. And I think... Um, you know, with the team of people we've got on the board, I think, you know, if we're not going to make a difference, uh, you know, it's our own issue and it's our own fault. So just get on the front foot and do something about it is kind of how I see it. So, you know, obviously to, to kind of be a good leader and, and make change for the industry, you, you've got to have people that are at the forefront of that. Uh, have there been any board changes recently? And if so, can you kind of talk me through the, talk me through the, the changes and who you've got on your board? Yeah, look, we have. Um, and I think, 
you know, part of just a, a kind of a new focus and to make sure that we're representing, you know, the best of the industry. Um, we've made a few changes and brought in some new members. Um, Laura Aldington from Host has joined, uh, Michael Ribello, Nick Garrett, uh, Tara Ford, um, one of the great uh, creative leaders from DDB has also joined the board. Mm. So there's quite a few new members when you think of the makeup, um, plus some excellent longer-standing members like uh, Mark and myself. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, James um, and James, James Leggett, yeah. uh, Paul Bradbury, uh, Jonathan Isaacs, Lorraine Djokovic mm. uh, are the other members. So it's a good team and I think mm. it's um, – you know, repre- you know, representative of some of the, you know, great businesses within the community uh, and also kind of a fairly diverse board, which is good. Mm. And certainly, you know, f- from my perspective as well, I feel like after this conversation, I know a lot more about the Comms Council and kind of what you guys stand for and, and what you're here to do. Whereas previously, you know, I kind of unless I sort of looked on the website, I didn't really know much about your purpose as as, a, as an organisation. So mm. I think it's great that you're kind of coming to market and saying, hey, we're here and this is what we want to do. Yeah, we, we want to talk about the stuff that we're up to and, um, you know, the, the great things that the industry is doing. And, uh, yeah, and, and just focus in on some of the key areas that uh, are really important. And, um, you know, Nick and mm. I have, um, you know, it's probably our job with uh, Tony and the board to just make sure that um, – you know, the good things the industry does are recognised. Uh, the challenges that we face are challenged and, and scrutinised and, you know, we do do things about it. And uh, and that's that's what we want to do, like action and get out there and have a conversation about it because, mm. um, you know, ultimately that's how you solve problems is, you know, talking about the issues and recognising there's a problem in the first place that needs to be addressed or, you know, and also accentuating the positive stories that are in the industry. Mm. Great. Well, unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, no problem. Great, great <laughs> being you. here. Thanks very much. And just before we go, a bit of housekeeping. It is officially the last week to take advantage of the early bird discount on Mumbrella's Travel Marketing Summit. The full program has just gone online and we are excited about featuring some of the biggest campaigns from the year. Uh, South Australia's 120-hour ad and Tourism Australia's famous Dundee trailer will be unpicking the evidence of success for those. Uh, if you book before Thursday, February the 28th, you'll save 150 bucks. So hop over to umbrella.com.au forward slash travel. That is it for this week. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Tim. Toodle pip.